It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson and this is your daily Premier League podcast with you every day of the season, which is now officially over. And what a finale. Manchester City grabbing top spot in a final day that almost matched that blue day back in 2012. Meanwhile, Burnley were relegated, Leeds survived, Spurs got top four at the expense of Arsenal and Manchester United found their way into the Europa League despite losing their final game of the season to Palace in the final game of Ralph Rangnick's reign as well. You can catch up with all the action from yesterday's final day of the season with Fergal and the team on last night's podcast. They'll give you a full wrap-up of everything that happened on that last day of action. We've got a final of our own today on the podcast as well. The very last get in the sea of the season. An opportunity for a little bit of a Monday moan about the weekend's action. We're going to be talking about that pitch invasion at the Etihad Stadium after the Premier League title was sealed. The FA are officially investigating the incident that saw the Villa goalkeeper assaulted. And June the 10th is the start of the transfer window, but not everyone is waiting until then to make their announcements. With Aston Villa announcing today the signing of 22-year-old French international Boubacar Kamara this morning from Marseille. And there are plenty of other deals being talked about too, including the future of Declan Rice, a new body coming to Liverpool, and another departure in the defensive department at Chelsea. All that, and there's a lot to go at, is being discussed by Niall and Marley on the podcast. How are we, boys? Good. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Relieved the season's come to an end. It's been a long one. I'm delighted the season <laughs> is ending or has ended. Um, and what a way to end as well. Yesterday was fun, wasn't it? It was. It was an amazing day. I didn't watch it. I didn't want to pay for my Now TV subscription because West Ham weren't on. And I was like, do I really want to pay 12 quid to sit and watch Man City or Liverpool? <laughs> so I ended, up, sod. I ended up listening to Final Score. It was old school. I was listening to the radio. It was like it was quite nice. I haven't done that in ages, but it felt like loads was going yeah, on. Sport Social Gaffer, you've got the most money out of, out of all three of us. <laughs> and you live in Chorley, which is... Not Chorley. Chorley, Chorlton, sorry, which is a little... 
hipster little part of Manchester. I live in the ends. I live in the scruffy ends, and even I watched it thanks to my wife's dad's uh, sky go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Illegally. Uh, right, so the season is over. The podcast will continue over the summer. We'll go down to three days a week, but we'll still keep you up to date with all the latest football news. And then we are back. The season starts again, August the 6th because you've got the World Cup over in the winter. So they're starting the season a little bit earlier. But anyway, let's get on with today's podcast and let's start with a little bit of a Monday moan. Get in the sea. One thing from the weekend that you want to just get rid of that really wound you up. Marley, you're always good for a moan. You can start us off today. Oh, is this why you're not you're not starting... Uh, well, you usually end with me, don't you? Because I never think of anything. Yeah, I'm putting um, you on the bold spot. Bold of you to assume that I've done any... Uh, <laughs> that I've got something, but... It was it was gonna be pitch invasions, but I think we're gonna talk about that later. So yeah, I'm gonna that try was mine and, as well. I'm gonna try and um, uh, go like leave that basically. Um, I think in general, it's 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 just Man United. <laughs> How you know, like the whole season has been so bad for them, and then to have it like manifest itself on the last day when Ten Hag's in the crowd and. And it's it's almost like the start of a new era before it starts, sort of thing, like a like a little preview. And they were just they were awful against Crystal Palace. They they got completely outplayed as well as not not just beaten, like outplayed. Um, Palace were were good value for the win, but the the winning goal sums up Man United. I think um, the fact that you know Bruno Fernandez just randomly decides to. Uh, play a blind pass to a defender he thinks he's there and he's just not and then the the terrible defending of Zaha um getting through Dallow and I think it was uh, Lindelof as well and ending mm. up sticking it past De Gea into the net and it just summed up the problems at Man United and the fact that they uh they finished the season with a zero goal difference is staggering. I think it's the first time in 42 year, 32 years it's happened since 1990, I think it was. I was amazed by that because I was looking at the goal differences because obviously my team, West Ham, were in this race for the Europa League spot with Manchester United and I think we've only got ourselves to blame for not getting that and losing against Brighton when Manchester United were so terrible. But the fact that our goal difference was so significantly better than Manchester United's when we've not won that many game by big margins this year. Like yeah. David Moyes is a manager who wins games and loses games by a goal either way in yeah. general. Yeah. Yeah. So that really sums up how poor Manchester United have been this season. I was working on the game yesterday actually at Selhurst Park and I was looking into some of the statistics and it's the most goals United have ever conceded in a Premier League season. Wow. They've conceded yeah. more than Burnley more than and Burnley got relegated thing. from the top flight and I think that's telling. If you think about some of the results United have had this season, they lost by four to Watford, I think twice. They lost by four to Liverpool and then five to Liverpool, I think. Mm. They lost by a number of goals to Man City. They conceded four away at Leicester. And I'm sure I've missed a few as well. Um, when they lose, they quite lose quite heavily. They tend to capitulate. So I definitely think that when you look across the season... And as to why Manchester United have got a dead level goal difference, you only need to look at the amount of goals that they have shipped mm. when they've lost. Um, and it's significant. I mean, the amount of times they've conceded three or four goals is is quite remarkable. I've really. just got to think as well. I mean, that's the amount of goals they've conceded. And I know Cristiano Ronaldo is coming to some criticism this season about people going, oh, he, he detracts from the team in general. Nonsense. But it, it has to be nonsense. Without his goals, what's he scored? 18, 18 goals his second season. best goal scoring season. Without them... Manchester United would be yeah. in serious trouble. For Manchester United, 
He's only got a better goal scoring season once, and that was when he scored 30. And I think he went to Real Madrid the season, on the back two that, seasons yeah. after that, yeah. won the Ballon d'Or because of it. So, mm. you know, this guy's 37, and he's carrying Manchester United's forward line as well. So, I mean, so many problems there. And, mm. I yeah. mean, Marley's right to pick up on Manchester United and putting them in the sea because they were they were dreadful it, yesterday. It annoyed me as well with... with um with Rangnick after the game and he said that he didn't know Ten Hag was there which I just find hard to believe I, I don't mm. know whether he's he means that because how can how can he how can the manager of Man United not know that the next manager is there and he said like I hope to speak to him in the next couple of days like what do you mean the next couple of days like he's there he's like he can't be more than 500 metres away from you like he's, he must be in a boardroom you know just above where you're doing this interview so why not go and talk now mm. I don't know if I don't know if Rangnick's that bothered I think I think he thought he was going to be part part of the board in a more um, permanent capacity, like a director of football type role, and then that didn't manifest itself into a concrete offer. And then he's just sort of, ah, balls to this, I don't need this, I'm going to go manage Austria and do six days consultancy every you know, every month or whatever it is. And just don't, don't know how bothered he is about the whole situation and whether the, the whole shambles of the club has, has worn him down so quickly that he's just not bothered anymore, so... It's a huge job for for Ten Hag, yeah. but looks like he's starting it well with with the rumours that are coming out with uh, making decisions decisions on players quickly and moving quickly in the transfer market. That's what that's what needs to happen because he needs preseason as soon as possible to to get his teeth stuck into uh, to something decent. Fair to say, it's not worked out worked out for Rangnick at Manchester United. And there was a really interesting article in the Athletic over the weekend as well. And I mean, one of the problems at Manchester United is these stories and these leaks come out of the club that kind of reveal the inner workings of what's going on, but really revealing about how deep some of those problems went at Manchester United as well. Problems at Old Trafford that may be able to be turned around by Ten Hag anyway. Well, might get in the sea, and I feel like I've put him in the sea so many times this season that he must be (laughs) a great swimmer. (laughs) He must be be really strong. It's Jurgen Klopp. He's going into the sea again, not for moaning, but more for not moaning this season time round because I don't can't know, win. did you see his press conference or not his press conference it was his interview on match of the day yeah. after Manchester City won the title he kind of did this really creepy address to camera where he looked straight down the lens of the camera and talked to kind of City fans and congratulated them and he has been the saltiest the whingiest the bad loseriest manager in the whole of European football this season, no defeat has been his fault or his players' fault. It's always been someone else's responsibility when Liverpool have dropped points. And they fell short on the final day. They couldn't have done any more, to be honest with you. They did win, and that's all they could do on that day. But they didn't get there, and they lost the title to a very good Manchester City side, a very professional Manchester City side. And he gave this kind of weird speech congratulating City and congratulating Pep and congratulating the fans it could not have felt less genuine it couldn't have felt more false I almost would have liked it if he'd continued moaning and blamed something else or blamed someone else for it but instead he's like I want to congratulate the Manchester City fans for a great achievement and he had to get in the fact that Liverpool had won two trophies and had the Champions League final to play at the end of the week as well so that's Jurgen Klopp for me I think just once again I really, he's really wound me up this season. He's rubbed me up the wrong way, and I just want him to get in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It reminds me a bit. You know that meme of that guy who's got a, a mask on of a happy face, but underneath he's crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it did feel a little bit like that. And I know what you're saying. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's been unbelievable this season, though. What he's managed to get that Liverpool team to achieve, 
is fantastic. I'm not sure I'm on board with this love in between Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp. Because Pep Guardiola said something in his post-match interview, which was true, in all fairness to Pep, which was Liverpool have been such a good opponent for Manchester City this year that it's pushed City to new levels. Mm. And, you know, for those two teams to get in excess of 90 points and one of them not win the title, I think is incredible. And they are setting new levels and they're probably two of the best teams we've ever seen in the Premier League. And I get that. But I want to see Wenger versus Ferguson. Yeah. I want to see Mourinho versus Wenger. I want to see these sorts of rivalries on the touchline. Um, and I know that there's huge respect between the I two think of that's them. It. But you it's can, respect, you can it? have respect and still be competitive. Um, a great example of that would be the sport of boxing, where you see fighters before giving it the big one in the press conferences. They do the face-off. It all gets a little bit shirty. They mm. have the game, uh, the match, sorry. They have the fight. And then after the fight, the respect is then shown. And then post-fight, post it's like, okay, respect to my opponent, um, regardless of the result. I want to see a bit more of that. Yeah. Um, a bit more fire, a bit more fight, because... These two sides, um, their rivalry will go down in legend, I think, but it's not. But the niggle, I want a bit of spice. The niggle. Yeah, you want, want the Jose Mourinho comments. Next yeah. season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know I agree, actually. I think they, I think you're right. I don't get the impression they particularly like each other, but I think it's a begrudging respect almost because they are performing at such an elite level, and it's probably a level we might not have seen in the Premier League previously I don't know it's very difficult to compare apples and oranges and look back at the likes of the Manchester United 99 season and compare that to sitting in Liverpool now but it does feel like they're reaching new levels. Football's changed doesn't it? You look at that 99 season I think Andy Cole and Dwight York scored 53 goals between them or something. Yeah yeah. Um, You don't really see two up front anymore you know we've kind of gone to full backs dominating the game wing backs pushing on uh, normally three up front or one up front with three in behind so the game's changed and I think largely in part, particularly in this country, down to those two managers. Well, Jurgen Klopp, get in the sea, stay there for a bit. <laughs> Actually, no, you had to come out for the Champions League final, don't you? <laughs> come out for that and then get back in the sea. Right, we are going to talk about pitch invasions at the moment, which I think is probably something we all would have put in the sea yeah. had we had the opportunity, but we're going to give it a little bit of a focus shortly. But before we do that, final get in the sea, Niall, what are you going for? Um, I'm not going to put this in the sea because yesterday was incredible. What a day of Premier League football. But a lot of people suggesting that the game between Villa and Manchester City was akin to the Aguero moment. It just wasn't. I'm sorry. And I know I wasn't there. Mm. And I'm sure it was one of those you had to be there moments. But it's not anywhere close to what happened um, in 2012. It just can't be. I just don't see how it can be. The title was you know, decided on, on goal difference that day between Manchester United and Manchester City. A 90th minute winner to ensure that you do win the title on goal difference is not the same as winning the title by a point, having come from two behind. Well, there was no point yesterday, was there, that Liverpool had the title? Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. there was, yeah. Was yeah. There? I think there was one point, yeah. No, but there wasn't. Was no. there not? No, oh, Okay, was, all right. I think Stand corrected. Just as, as it went 3-2 to City, like literally a minute, minute and a half later, um, Salah scored the second at Anfield to put them back ahead. Like, yeah. or they thought they were ahead and then it sort of filtered through that it was 3-2 to City. I mean, three goals in six minutes is unbelievable for Man City. Yeah. And their achievement is incredible. And that takes some real balls to do that, to come from two, di- two down when all hope is lost, to then score one and then score another two in, in five and a half minutes or whatever it was is, is excellent. Um, but minute 76, 78 and 81, if it was minute 
86, 88 and 91, <laughs> maybe I'll be thinking a little bit more um, differently about whether it was like the Aguero moment. But I'm not putting that in the sea because it was incredible. Um, I just I just don't understand the people that were saying, oh, it's another Aguero moment. And um, yes, it will be remembered fondly, but nothing will... Nothing people just will, like... Yeah. They love comparisons, don't they? They love, comparisons, moment, they? Yeah, they yeah, love yeah. comparisons. Yeah, it's like um, calling someone the next Maradona or the next whatever, isn't it? It's like yeah. you have to look at something else. That's not going in the sea. For me, what's going in the sea is... Um, well, I could put Watford FC in the sea, to be honest, but I'm going to put one of the players from the opponents of Watford at the weekend, Chelsea. I'm going to put Andreas Christensen in the sea mm-hmm. because once again, he ruled himself out of contention uh, of playing for Chelsea. I don't think he was even on the bench for their game against Watford, in which they did win 2-1, but he ruled himself out of the FA Cup final last weekend, Andreas Christensen, because there's an imminent move on the cards. He's about to join Barcelona. And I think his reasoning behind that was he doesn't want to get injured and jeopardise the move and I understand that football is a short career and you do have to kind of feather your own nest to an extent I understand not playing the final day of a Premier League season in which there's not really a lot to play for against Watford at Stamford Bridge I get that but to not play the FA Cup final against Liverpool a chance to win silverware and go out you know on a high I mean I don't get that so I know it's a, a possible get in the sea from last week but the fact he refused to play a game didn't even fancy being on the bench coming on for the last five minutes, um, knocking the ball around at the back and securing victory. Um, compare that with who was voted by the man of the who was voted man of the match by the fans, Antonio Rudiger, a player who's also off. Yeah. A player who's going to Real Madrid, who plays in the same position, going to the same league, who's been an absolute colossus for Chelsea. I love season. Rudiger. I think yeah. he's brilliant. And under T- Thomas Tuchel, he's been fantastic. He's been a, a real kingpin and a cornerstone to the success that Chelsea have had under Tuchel. Um, I think that that is an interesting comparison to draw. You look at someone like Rudiger, who was keen to play right to the very end and won man of the match in his final game at Stamford Bridge, in front of the Chelsea fans. And then you've got Andreas Christensen, who said, sorry, lads, I don't fancy it. If you're on a Royal Koeman and you're looking at Christensen, who you've just signed... Do you start questioning that individual? Do you start questioning the personality or the commitment of him as a signing because he's not the player? It, it would seem he's not the player that's going to run through brick walls for you. And I know there's an element of love the one you live. He's looking after himself for his new gig. But at the same time, you want the players that give everything no matter what. You want those kind of warriors on the pitch. You don't want someone who's going, oh, I want to protect myself because I've got a big move coming up. I'm not sure what Ronald Koeman thinks, considering he's out of work at the minute. Who's Barcelona? Is he Xavi. Not? Oh, yeah, of course, yes. <laughs> well, I'm always um, interested in what Ronald Koeman thinks, to be oh honest God, with you. Yeah. Um, I think he's going back to Holland as, as their manager in the summer, actually. Um, I'm not sure with... It, it's something that sticks in your head, that, isn't it? When, when, that, when a certain player does that, and we don't know the full Christensen thing. That's like, true, that it, is it true. Might be, it might be... There might be more to it, I don't know. We'll probably never know, to be honest. Um, it'll just be... His, his him and his inner circle that know, but it's um it is something that sticks with you. I feel I still remember Michael Owen not playing for Newcastle in um when we were fighting relegation in two thousand and eight or whatever More it was. And... Recent example would be um Ryan Fraser, who refused to play for Bournemouth and they got relegated. Yeah. Because he was dead set on a move to Arsenal that never came off. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it does it does stick in people's minds because, you know, Still to this day, you know, um, that was the thing that, that turned a lot of people against Michael Owen and questioned his, his professionalism and, and all the rest of it. And similar with Fraser and, and it came back. Um, funnily enough, Fraser ended up being managed by the guy who he refused to play for like, for, <laughs> like two or three years later or whatever it was. So 
it's crazy really but it's um yeah it, it it will stick in in Javi's mind maybe and especially as the deal isn't done yet as, as far as we know like it, Christensen still hasn't signed anything anywhere which is I think the reason why I think the reason why Rudiger's playing is because he's already signed the contract with Real Madrid but Christensen isn't because he hasn't signed anything anywhere and maybe if if he is just doing this to to look after himself maybe it's just because he he wants to pass a medical and then get on holiday and, and have a break and then come back in in pre-season with it being a short pre-season but it it whatever way this goes it it it, it will stick with people because he's uh, he's not been exemplary throughout the uh, this whole little saga well, that is it. We're going to put. Well, I forgot what we even put. Oh, Christian, so we're going yeah. to see. Aren't just, we? I just, in general, maybe not him, but just refusing to play okay. and not being really professional. Right, that is in the sea. That wraps up our Monday moan, but we're going to have a little bit more of a moan in a minute because we're going to look at the pitch invasions that seem to have crept into the game over the last couple of weeks. Not just at Manchester City as they won the title yesterday, but also Everton when they secured survival earlier in the week. We'll talk about pitch invasions next on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk pitch invasions because we saw at the end of the Manchester City game their win over Aston Villa that won them the title. We saw fans streaming onto the pitch afterwards. A goal was broken. The Aston Villa goalkeeper Olsen was assaulted. That's the phrase that's been used. We're not quite sure whether it's deliberate or accidental. But I think from what I'm sensing in this room at the moment, it's not something that anyone is particularly approving of would I be right there Niall this is something that you're not happy with not only the City pitch invasion but also the Everton one that happened in the middle of last week I think not being happy with it is maybe a stretch too far because pitch invasions have been a part of football for a number of years now and I said this on the podcast earlier this week I've been involved in games where pitch invasions have happened where my team albeit in the lower leagues have won a title or been promoted and the fans have expressed their joy on the final day of the season by running on the pitch. Mm. However, when that occurred, I didn't see any Portsmouth fans running to the opposition players or fans to try and get in their face or attack them or make life a misery for them because they were all caught up in, oh my God, we've just won the league. And what they should have been doing is going over to the players and hoisting them up on their shoulders and carrying them around and celebrating with them. Yeah, 
I'd much rather, if I was an Everton fan, go up to Dominic Calvert-Lewin and celebrate the goal he scored to keep us in the Premier League than go over to a Crystal Palace player or the manager, Patrick Vieira, start filming him, giving him a middle finger in his face and, uh, and, and trying to start something. I mean, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I understand people running on the pitch. I totally understand that because it's part of football and it's happened. Yes, we should point out that it's actually illegal to run on the field of play, regardless of what the circumstances of a game are. I think it's hard to police and hard to stop. I think you've got however many stewards trying to deal with 50,000 people running onto a pitch like we saw yesterday at the Etihad. Very difficult to police and to steward. And I think that that needs to be appreciated. What I can't understand and what I can't respect is Billy Sharp being headbutted. Mm. What I can't understand is Robin Olsen being attacked by a Man City fan who will never get to watch his team play at the Etihad again. Mm. Yeah, you might have had a few beers, but imagine that. Never get to watch your team at home again because you've been an absolute idiot. Ridiculous. And so, yes, I mean, pitch invasions are something which I think we need to be very careful of. Um, What I thought was interesting was uh, Andy Holt is the chairman of Accrington Stanley Football Club and... Accrington Stanley playing League One. They're a little club from Lancashire. Some people listening to the podcast maybe might not know who they are. No jokes or puns intended. Who are they? But um, he is quite vocal on Twitter uh, and is quite honest on Twitter. And he posted something about these pitch invasions saying he's really disappointed about them because we're getting to a point now, 30 years on from the Hillsborough disaster, which is why terraces were taken away from football stadiums, that the rules were starting to loosen a little bit. We've got safe standing trials that have come into football because fans have been given a little bit more respect and they've proven over the years that they are able to behave. However, in the last three weeks, all of that might well have been undone Mm. and all of the the liberties that fans might have been able to enjoy in the near future now might be scrapped because of a few idiots. And that's what really disheartens me because it, it was right that after Hillsborough, Better safety measures were yeah. brought into football stadium. I don't think anyone can can disagree with that. However, we've reached a stage now where I think we understand health and safety a little bit better. But running on the pitch and going and clocking someone from the other team and the other fans, enjoy your moment. Mm. Make it about you. Don't make it about them. I think it says a lot about someone's mentality and personality that they'd rather go and gloat and kind of give stick to the opposition rather than celebrate themselves. So I'm not anti-pitch invasion. I should make that clear, but I don't understand if you run onto the pitch being an idiot and uh, an attacking. I want to come back to players. that in a moment, but I think there's two bits there. One is the behaviour of individuals, and the other bit is how actually do you control this without just relying on individuals to behave themselves you and do the right thing, Marley? Because it's like you can't put fencing in. You no. can't have fencing back in the pitch because it's dangerous. We know it's dangerous. We've seen incidents that have caused injury and fatalities because of the fencing separating fans from a pitch. The stewards. They've paid 40 quid or whatever it is. They're not going to put themselves in harm way to try and stop 10,000 people rushing onto a football pitch. They're going to just stand aside. So yeah. what do you do other than just hope your fans behave? I, I'm i not sure what you can do because we, I mean, you just said it there. You know, the way to stop them is to, is to fence them in, but you don't want to do that because it takes away the atmosphere and it treats them like animals and, and all the rest of it. You've just You've just got to hope that, if if there is a pitch invasion, you just nobody does anything stupid. I think the the Nottingham Forest one was was the worst. It's just, you know, disgusting, genuinely what, shocking. What happened? Mm. Uh, I honestly hope he watches Huddersfield beat Nottingham Forest in the playoff final from B Wing and in uh, 
bloody Wakefield prison or wherever he ends up. Um, but it's it's one of them where you've just got to you almost know it's going to happen. You can't you can't physically stop them at all because yeah. it's like that stupid uh, thing. You know that that daft um, question of like if if there's it's like 250 million kangaroos in in Australia and there's only 3 million people in Uruguay so everyone would have to fight 14 kangaroos or something it's like if you have 50,000 people coming on the pitch and there's 14 stewards trying to stop them yeah. they're all going to have to stop like 112 people each or something yeah, like that it's it's, not possible. it's mental like it just you can't do it so so i i actually think the stewards do all right you know i think the um not the stewards, like the security teams, because they do this thing now where they they form like a a square from the dugouts to sort of maybe twenty yards on the pitch, and they they form a, a physical wall and and stay there, and then every um, other security guy has to go and get a player and, and chaperone him off. It should never happen, of course, but um, it it does it does unfortunately happen and. You know the guy at Nottingham Forest and the Everton fans disgrace themselves. And yeah. I think the the city one with with Robin Olsen, I don't even think it's that bad, you know. No. But it I looks think accidental be, from the video. I think I mean, because it, it's well, who city. Know, but... I think yeah, I think because it's city, people are there's certain people who want to spin it like oh they're they're just as bad as anyone else. I mean there was a lad filming in his face, which mm. is exactly what we saw at Everton. And yeah. there's a couple of points here that I want to make. The Billy Sharp one shocked me because I was actually attacked at random by someone on a night out about five or six years ago. Mm. And uh, that shook me up. And it actually changed my life in a way. Um, I won't go into that now. But Billy Sharp was just, he was at work. And now I got attacked on a night out at random by someone I didn't know. But that was in public. Mm. I couldn't imagine someone walking into the studio now, charging in and attacking us. Well, that's Ian Wright made that point actually the day last night. It was like the football pitch is a player's it's place a of work. work. They're yeah, being attacked and abused yeah. in their place of work. Yeah. I understand that, but also you know the stadium belongs to the fans, but that doesn't excuse what what happened. No. Um. So so that's one thing. So that I mean that one really shocked me seeing the Billy Sharp incident. I don't think that person should ever be allowed to watch football again. I don't care how many years. If you say, oh, 15 years is too harsh, no, you're not allowed to watch football again. If you if, if you think that it's okay to do that after a game, then football isn't the game for you. Mm. You shouldn't be watching a match of football again anywhere. So that that would be that would be my first um, take. And secondly, we kind of saw this yesterday uh, as well at Selhurst Park as Edinson Cavani was leaving in, uh, the stadium and some people were giving him some stick. And Edinson Cavani he just put his middle finger up uh, some of the supporters, which again I don't condone. But at the same time, someone was doing that in Patrick Vieira's face. We've got to this point here in football now where people feel, particularly fans, feel like they're untouchable to the point where if you went up to someone in their face in the street and filmed them in the face and gave them the middle finger, whether it's Patrick <laughs> Vieira or not, to you're you. going to expect them to turn around and give you a boot up the arse, a bit like Patrick Vieira did. Yeah. So why? Because Patrick Vieira is a personality and a public figure and a former football player and a current football manager, I think people feel that, oh, he's not allowed to do that, he's not allowed to touch me because he'll get in trouble. I'm sorry, but if you do that to a lot of people yeah. and provoke them in that way, you are going to yeah. have some severe repercussions. And to be honest, if Patrick Vieira would turn around and chinned him, would I be condoning that behaviour? No, mm. absolutely not. I think I would am. I understand the <laughs> behaviour? Yes, I do. I understand the behaviour. I understand why Vieira snapped. Mm. I totally get it. 
Isn't I don't it? understand why the fan ran on and headbutted Billy Sharp. That's two different things to me. There's no provocation there. Sharp was just standing there minding his business. An idiot comes on and headbutts him. For Vieira, someone's provoking him and getting in his face. He turns around and gives him a boot. I'm, I think he's probably quite lucky that it was just a boot and not a, a right hook because <laughs> I wouldn't want to fight Vieira. The problem here is that you can't... You have to... You have to assume everyone's a knobhead, ultimately, because there is going to be a knobhead at some point. So you say you can't ban pitch invasions, but out of the 2,000 people that end up on the pitch, you only need one person. But pitch to... invasions are banned, Jim. You're not allowed to run on the pitch. They're already banned. Yeah. Well, just, they're just impossible to police, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So you, you need some kind of mechanism of control because sooner or later you're going to get someone who isn't just going for a headbutt or a slap around the face or a middle finger in the face you're going to get someone who causes someone serious harm and that has to be addressed doesn't it in some yeah. way and it, and the only way to address that is kind of like the approach that's been taken to racism i guess to a certain extent in that it has to be policed by the the fans themselves the good fans have to police the bad fans almost. yeah but like a, a good fan pitch invading slightly faster than <laughs> yeah. the knobhead to try and get to Billy Sharp before he gets headbutt. Like it's just never going to happen. Like because so well, the good fans are getting well, on and going, yeah. you know, going to their favourite players and saying well done, mate, and videoing and getting selfies and possibly raising them on the shoulders uh, if if that yeah. happens. But you you can't. It's it's just like it's a bit of an unwinnable situation um, yeah, unless people use their own heads. And my mm. my dad's ran on the pitch. He's in his fifties. His late fifties. He's ran on the pitch. Didn't think about attacking players. I've been on the pitch at Huddersfield in uni once when they um, they finished the season. Was it premeditated? So no. Yeah, I think so. I think when when you know that you're going to win, you do see people starting to swell towards the pitch, and you know that they're going to spill onto the pitch. The people know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is fine. I, I get it. It was I, weird. I, I, though, I like... get pitch invasions and why they happen. Just don't be a. <laughs> when the league, I want some grass. Yay! Don't yeah. be a head and it... don't attack people. It's not that hard, is it? It was weird. Like we sort of like, I think Huddersfield just qualified for the playoffs. In it was League One. It was like 2011, I think it was. And like people went on the pitch, and I was about three rows back. So like everyone around me just sort of went on the pitch, and I, I ended up on the pitch. Then I was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? Just <laughs> 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 so took a picture of myself and went back off again. And was like, right, see you later. Well, the was, FA was kind of it. The FA are investigating. They're not investigating Marley. They're investigating the incidents <laughs> at Manchester City yesterday. <laughs> If you're a Liverpool fan hoping for a points deduction and some kind of handing over of the Premier League title, I don't think it's going to happen. But you never know. Watch the space. I don't think there'll be anything more than potentially a fine. And ultimately, it's got to come down to the club's responsibility. So I imagine that would be the appropriate action. Right, we're going to talk next about some of the transfer gossip that's in the newspapers and on the various footballing websites. There's some interesting rumours doing the rounds as we prepare for the window to open. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Let's wrap up today's podcast with a bit of a look at the back pages, starting with the Daily Mirror, who are reporting that Declan Rice is going to stay at West Ham. He's rejecting Manchester United's potential overtones. Big news for the Hammers this, now. Yeah. Is it going to be an eight-year deal? No. On 200 grand a week? No. So what it's just going to be will running, the difference running be running for West Ham? Because is 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 his current deal is what? How, until when? I think he's got four years left. That's quite a long time. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there'll be a new... I mean, I think he's just going to stay for another season. Then he'll go next summer is my kind of hunch on this one. Yeah. But I think don't he's you... enjoying playing for the club. He feels like he's part of it. He's continuing his football development. He doesn't necessarily need to go... Certainly need to go to Manchester United at this point. Does he feel a sense of duty to stay at the club because the club have not achieved what they wanted to at the start of the season, which is obviously you're in the race for the Champions League. Mm. You didn't get it. You're in the Europa League, you lost in the semi-finals, and then you've just finished seventh in the Europa Conference. Do you think there's an element of Declan Rice deciding to stay because he feels like there's a job half done? Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. I think it's also the departure of Mark Noble, who hangs up his boots, obviously, or has hung up his boots after yesterday's game, and Declan Rice is the leader in that group. And he's... I mean, he's one of those footballers that just seems like a genuine nice bloke as well, isn't it? Mm. He feels like he's a leader on the pitch and off the pitch. Well, Mark Noble said that, actually, Jim. He said that Declan Rice is one of the best midfielders in European football at the moment, Mm. but he's ten times better as a person than he is as a player. Mm. I think that was a really nice little quote from from Mark Noble to say that, actually, about someone who's quite a lot of years his junior. And uh, I think he's right. I think Declan Rice is one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. He's had an excellent season. And what's he, only 23 or 24? Yeah. So he's going to mature even more in the next year. I mean, if you look at the Declan Rice from three years ago, he's unrecognisable, isn't he? Um, He's one of the first names Gareth Southgate puts on the team sheet for England. Um, And if he loves West Ham, then why not stay? I think the question marks over a departure would, would come, A, are Manchester United in a better position now than they were um, six months ago in January? No. Mm. Or even a year ago? No. Um, they've got a new manager. Will the new manager, Eric Tenag, fancy signing Declan Rice? There's a question in itself. And the other club that he was linked with was Chelsea, who yeah. have got an ownership situation at the moment. We don't know what they're allowed to do or how much money they'll have to spend yeah. in the summer, if any. So in terms of the actual climate and where he could go, um, will he stay at West Ham because the options are kind of thin elsewhere? Maybe. I mean, maybe that's I th- factored I think, into it. I think that's the reason why we're seeing this now. And I, I do expect... Rice to stay, but I think if Rice goes, he wants to go to Chelsea. In my opinion, I think he, you know, after being released there at was it nine or something like that, yeah. he was nine years. Came through with Mason Mount and all the rest of it. He's a London guy. I don't think he wants to move up to the north to to Man United, where nobody ever can really succeed because the pressure is is huge and the expectation is is massive. Um, and you can't. I don't think you can do that. And at a point where you've got a new manager coming in, like Man United are going to be adapting for the next at least 18 months to try and get to sort of a final form almost. 
And then you look at Chelsea and Chelsea have got the, all the questions over them about this summer, you know, the how much is the new owner going to put in? Is he going is the takeover even gone through yet? Will it go through? Who's the who's going to stay, who's going to leave? It's not a attractive opposition now, but it might be in 12 months. So that all lends itself to Declan Rice staying mm-hmm. um and still having 2 years on his contract after next year and then being in a position where he goes, you know what, that's that's enough now. Um, mm. I want to leave. Similar to how Jack Grealish did, like, yeah. all the best, thanks for everything, but I want to go and win things, and mm. that doesn't happen as much with West Ham. But yeah. in the meantime, he could win a Conference League with West Ham quite quite conceivably because they're in the Conference League. They got to the semis of the Europa League. You'd fancy anyone who got to that, that stage in the Europa League to go, like, at least to the semis or the final of the Conference League if they take it seriously, so... You know, he could end with with some silverware of some kind and um, then saying, you know what, it's time for a new a new chapter because Chelsea want me in 2023 or 2024, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think enjoying for now, though, because yeah, it's quality. The, they'll <laughs> think, still get £100 million for him, even yeah. if, he, even if yeah. he runs his deal down another two years. And you're right, his options next summer will be so much better for now because Manchester United aren't an attractive proposition. Chelsea, right. we don't know what's going to happen, but they will not be. There is, They absolutely will not be the same force they were under Abramovich. No. There's no, there are very few people on earth that can put that kind of investment into a football club. So whatever happens, they're probably looking at taking a step back. And who knows, next summer, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester City could potentially be interested in Declan Rice if he continues the development that he's putting in at the moment. Yeah, Let's stick with Chelsea, though, because it's not looking great at Chelsea at the moment. This is coming from Fabrizio Romano, but Marcus Alonso wants to leave. He's been there for six years. A potential move to Barcelona is on the cards. Are Chelsea in trouble at the moment, Niall, with the mm-hmm. amount of players that are leaving, particularly defenders? We've talked about Christensen and Rudiger already. He've got Marcus Alonso, who I don't... He's not been a... He, it's kind of not been the first name on the team sheet this year, but he's played a role in Chelsea's season, certainly. And now he is looking at moving away, potentially. Yeah, Chelsea have got a big problem. And what are we now? What is the date today, by the way? 23rd? 23rd of May. They've got until the 31st to sort out this ownership problem. It looks like it could be Todd Burley, the the American businessman, who seems to be mates with John Cena, who was just randomly chilling at Stamford Bridge the other day. (laughs) Um... So it looks like it's going to be him. Obviously, Sir Jim Ratcliffe put a bid in, but that was too late. And for whatever reason, I think certain people are uncertain whether Roman Abramovich is actually going to donate the proceeds of the sale of Chelsea to Ukrainian charities, as he originally promised. So I think that that's the reason that there's been a bit of a hold-up or a delay at the moment. But this government licence expires on the 31st, so time is ticking down Mm. for Chelsea. And... I kind of tongue-in-cheek mentioned in the office last week, I wouldn't be shocked if Chelsea just don't participate in the Premier League next season. I mean, I think that's a very, very unlikely situation, but I still wouldn't be shocked if it happened because of the way things have gone. Burnley Um, reprieved. Burnley could well be (laughs) reprieved, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think. What would Uh, happen if they didn't? No, someone would have to come up from the Championship, so it would be both. Would they then get a pass back into the Premier League? I guess. I don't think so. I think if you drop out, you drop out. So you'd be down to the lower leagues of English football. You'd like being in a Juventus Start again, situation. Or like what Rangers did when they went bust. Yeah, but yeah. Chelsea aren't going bust, though. But you so. can't just drop out. You can't just go, I don't fancy the shit lads. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, that Man, was just kind of... Than that, last summer. <laughs> that was me just thinking out loud um, as what could possibly happen. But in terms of the actual players, it's almost impossible to tell. I mean, I've seen Chelsea link with Robert Lewandowski. 
this week. And mm. it's like, I'm not surprised, but at the same time, how can Chelsea afford to negotiate with someone like Robert Lewandowski <laughs> at the moment when they don't have a clue what the finances are going to be next yeah. season? He sits uh, down and Robert goes, I've got one question, who's paying me? Yes. And, 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 and the, the Chelsea representative goes, ah, oh, I hope he didn't <laughs> ask that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Marcus Alonso, let's go back to the original question, which was about Marcus Alonso. He's not that good. I, I'd agree with that. Jesus. He's got a very good left foot, uh, good delivery. He's good got a highlight pieces. reel that could convince anyone that he was the best left back of his generation. But if you can't sign new players, he comes you've got a serious post. issue with your players. Yeah, I mean, well, this nah, is it. This is it. I mean, really. Alonso, actually, do you know what? I, I Chelsea, not bad. Chelsea fans might want to correct me here, but I feel like Alonso has never really been the darling of the Chelsea supporters. I feel like he's kind of, at times, he's been the most frustrating player to ever pull on a Chelsea shirt. And at other times, it's like he's one of the first names on the team sheet. It seems like Chelsea supporters have kind of got a real... Um, up and down relationship with Alonso. Will they be devastated if he leaves? I don't think so. Ben Chilwell can stay fit. He's a better fullback, and he's better. He's a better player, and I think he'll probably more likely play mm. um, if he's fit. So let's not forget they paid what fifty million for Chilwell, and he's a very good player, and I think he'll stay um, at, at Chelsea and be the first choice right back as everyone's expecting him to be when he comes back from injury. So um, they do have other options, as Marley says. They've got a pretty good youth team. And they've got young players like Trevo Chalabar, who's come through and sort of performed under Tuchel. But you're right, they've got two centre-halves that have left. Uh, I mean, what I don't understand is why Chelsea didn't look at this before. Not that they could have foreseen what happened between Russia and Ukraine and Abramovich, of course. But they knew Rudiger was running his contract down. Christensen is gone. Mm. They sold Kurt Zuma to West Ham. Thiago Silva's 37 and just starting to show signs of, of creaking. And Trevo Chalabar, that leaves him as the only real fit centre-back. Yeah. Mm. Um I, I can't even go. think who else they've got. And, and, and Malang Saar is one of the worst players I've seen this season. <laughs> he's crap. He's so, cool. I'll be honest, I, I don't know what Chelsea are going to do at the back next season. I really don't. I, I think, really don't. I don't think it's that bad at Chelsea because they've got so many sellable assets, I think. I think you could trim Chelsea's squad down and, and raise a lot of money quickly. Like yeah. If they get rid of Lukaku. And the loan rules have changed, Marley, as well. So, you can't actually ship out millions of players out on loan next season. Yeah, which means they could sell them. Like... If if you said to Crystal Palace thirty million for Conor Gallagher, they'd they'd say yep, fine, we'll yeah. have him. Um, so, or or there's a place for him in the team. Like there's if they if they feel they want to go down that route, I think like so Ziyech could could leave and raise twenty five thirty million probably. Um, and then there's there's Lukaku if they can get rid of him if Inter fancy taking him after just missing out on the the Serie A title um, at the weekend. If they take him back for fifty or sixty million, yes, it's a loss on the hundred million, but it's still fifty or sixty million to go and sign a new centre back with or two. Um, there's there's enough money in that Chelsea squad to to sell a few and then mm-hmm. and sort out these problems because you know there's Hudson Odoi has, has not been in great form or or, or favour with with Tuchel because he doesn't quite fit into that system. Yeah. If you sold him, how much would he bring you? He'd bring you at least thirty million with a big probably sell on clause or, or buy back clause if you fancied him in the future if another manager came in or whatever. But still got Ross Barkley. I'm just looking at the Chelsea squad. Ross Barkley, here. yeah. And Marley's right. There's another five quid. We always <laughs> yeah, we always talk about the players they've got out on loan, just looking here. They've got Dujon Sterling and Levi Colwell on loan in the championship. Know nothing about those two players. I Colwell's must be been really good for 
I think is it Luton? Who are you with? Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Um, yes. But they've also got Ethan Ampadu, who's just played in Serie A. He's been got relegated, relegated by Venezia. But well, he Ma- could he could be he could play next season. Yeah, he easily. Could play. Matt Miazga is an American centre back who's been in league, uh, La Liga with Alaves. Um, and then <laughs> also ter- got relegated. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of left backs, they've got Baba Raman and Emerson Palmieri, who I think is probably going to end up leaving on a permanent. Back, but yeah. those two are both left backs. So if you're talking about Marcos Alonso leaving, they've got two left backs out on loan. Um, Armando Broja has been pretty good at Southampton, hasn't he? Um, uh, Conor Gallagher has been outstanding. Mm-hmm. They've still got Danny Drinkwater on the books. Billy Gilmore, <laughs> Tiamue Bakayoko, who's just won the AC, uh, just won the Scudetto in Italy with AC Milan. Even though I don't rate him that well as a player, but um, I mean Michi Batshuayi, they've got players mm-hmm. on loan who he's, have experience in the top divisions in, in Turkey. Of um, the team is that I think he's a Besiktas. Yeah, um, he's their top scorer. So you know they, they'll all pay. For, basically, what we're saying is they'll all attract a fee somewhere yeah. these, these players so mm. I don't think it's that bad at Chelsea it's just who's who's making these decisions because you know they need to sort that out quickly and I think they've not handled themselves too brilliantly in the last couple of windows I think selling Mark Gahey to um, to Crystal yeah. Palace was, was a big mistake because well. I don't know if they've got any clause to bring him back I don't think so but if, you, if they did have it you would be looking at that this summer and going he's been brilliant for Palace and we need centre back so um, he could he could have easily gone in there, but they've they've made that decision now, and they need to to sort out who's making the next decision so they don't make the same mistakes again. As we know, Chelsea have got a little bit of a history of letting the good ones go. See Mohamed Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, etc. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to Liverpool because they're looking at a player who I have absolutely no chance of pronouncing their name right. Monaco's Aurelien Tuchemini. Not bad. Not nah, bad. It's not the worst yeah. you've ever many. done. Real Madrid also interested in him. He's 22 years old. What do you know about this guy? You can go, Niall. Uh, he's good. I know that. <laughs> right. I know that. Um, attracting a lot of interest. Manchester United have also been linked. Um, a number of clubs, as you've just mentioned there, have all been linked. Uh, I think he's only, what is he, 22? Something like that. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, quite he's a young, young player. Um, Monaco this season have been all right. Obviously, PSG... Uh, have won the the Liga and title. Uh, Monaco finished third behind Marseille, who were second, two points behind them. And um, yeah, he's he's probably been one of their standout players. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. He's someone who's quite progressive. He's a, I'm not sure if he's a ball winner or whether he's a progressive midfield player, but he's certainly someone who a lot of people have talked up uh, as a player for the future. Um, 74 appearances in Liga for for Monaco since 2020 when he made his debut so he made his debut as sort of a 19 20 year old so um i think that tells you a lot the fact he's played eight times for france since last year getting into that french team that are currently the world cup holders at the age of just 20 or 21 i think that tells you about the the lad's quality i think you know the young french midfielders around at the moment and the other one is is eduardo camavinga Camavinga, who was at um ren and then ended up going to real madrid a lot of people were talking up him. I mean, he was playing at 17 in Ligue 1 and scoring goals and run, running the show from the middle of the park. Um, whether Chouameni is the next one off that sort of young production line from France, I'm not so sure. But uh, it doesn't surprise me that he's been link, being linked with the top player, mm. uh, the top clubs in Europe. I haven't watched a great deal of him, I'll be, I'll be blunt. Um, but I've heard good things. So I'm not surprised that, that Liverpool's name are now on that list. The thing that always puts me off about these about these players is like there's been so many who come out of France and just don't don't take to it like the the biggest one for me was Tanguy and Dombele yes who was just far too good for everyone in France and came to Spurs and just 
just didn't do it, didn't fancy it, or didn't. I don't know whether he he just wasn't fancied or being playing in the wrong position or whatever. But he, whatever it may be, he just couldn't do it in the Premier League. I don't know why. And then there's this guy we were talking about before, Niall, the um, the Leicester fella, Sumari. Um, yeah, Bubakari Bub- Sumari. Bubakari Sumari, who's mm. came out of uh, France with a similar reputation as like the next best thing coming out of France and Can't barely a kicks a game, mm. k- kicks a ball for Leicester. There's been a few. You know, a few go the other way. Fabinho did well. Bernardo Silva Kante done well. well didn't he? Kante's done well. You know, Giroud and all the rest of it. But I, I always wonder, like with these, with these hype around these transfers, like can yeah. you only fail when you come to the Premier League? Because if you have a bad game, it's like, well, there's another one. He wasn't any good, and he cost eighty million and blah blah blah. For every Giroud, there's a Sylvain Marvo or a Gabriel <laughs> Overtan. Yeah, <laughs> Overtan, Christ. Never seen him more bra- fast, but brainless. <laughs> like brilliant, like if you do hundred meters in eleven seconds, but wouldn't know what to do if you give him a ball at the end of it. Um, Madness. Yeah. Just looking into Shuamani, it looks like he's a, a a top ball winner. So he's a bit more of a of a ball winner. He's good in the air, strong in the tackle, rather than the sort of box to box midfielder that Angolo Conte is, for example. So okay. he's 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 more of a defensive minded player. Yeah. Let's move on and finish off with Aston Villa. Signed Bubakar Kamara today, so they've already made a deal this summer and it looks like they're going after Calvin Phillips as well. Leeds United have retained their Premier League status but could be about to lose a few of their superstars. I guess there's going to be some players in that squad, Marley, that just don't want to hang around and go through that again with Leeds. I'm thinking about the likes of Mm. Calvin Phillips and Rafina. I I think they they owe Leeds another year. At least, um, especially like with the way Phillips is, like Phillips is is a Leeds lad. I, d- I don't think he's in a desperate rush to move. I think Rafinha is more pressing to move because he, he he knows he's better than Leeds basically, and Phillips is too. But having come through the the youth system, which is very good at Leeds, um, you know he's found his 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 feet under Bielsa, who turned him from a fringe player into the most important player in that Leeds team, mm. probably. Um, I think he could do with just staying staying until Leeds fall out the Premier League, basically. If they fall out the Premier League next year, then then leave and say, I've got to look after myself. But He doesn't seem to have worked in, um, I forget, what's the what's Jesse, Marsh. Jesse Marsh's new system, though, does he? I, I, he was brilliant under Bielsa. He I agree really with that. Well, with that. I, um, think, I think uh, Jesse Marsh has taken away what was good about Calvin Phillips, mm. personally. He's kept leads up, so mm. I mean we can't really criticize can't, that too much. Yeah, it's not about one player; it's about a squad, and you get what you can out of your team, don't you? But it doesn't necessarily mean that Calvin Phillips is going to want to stay at Leeds if he doesn't feel like he's being used to the best of his let's, ability. Let's be blunt, though; he's barely played Calvin Phillips mm. this season. Yeah, he has struggled. I mean, with if the you think about stuff, the, yeah. you know, I'm not sure when the next England camp is. June. Okay, so yeah. is Calvin Phillips going to get called up for that? I think he he'll get called up, but you'd fancy Bellingham's ahead of him now. I, I, and he just Ward hasn't played this season, maybe. Yeah. Just, Prowse, yeah. just wonder if he's not fit, whether Southgate bothered picking him. But he, he, has, he has played. I think he will get picked because he's played well for England, and that's huge for, for yeah, Southgate. That's but very true. That's the only, yeah. I mean, literally, when Bielsa took over Leeds as like a 15th place in the championship thing, he was closer to the exit door than anything. And he turned Phillips, like, he gave him drive and focus and a, a clear role to do. And he basically just coached the hell out of him, coached him into a Premier League fifty million pound rated midfielder, an England midfielder. So I think when when Bielsa went, I think it probably affected Phillips slightly more than everybody else in that squad because he was so key to to his development that he needs a bit of time to 
to um, adapt to, to Jesse Marsh. But we've seen him with England. England don't play the same system as Leeds, but he plays well in it with, with Declan Rice. He's the one who goes and hunts the ball down, and if it goes past him, Rice will be there to, mm. to sweep it up, and that works. So you can... Um, you can sort of say that he can he can do it in in other systems. It's just he needs a little bit more time, maybe to to get used to Marsh, and that might come next season because I don't see the rush for him to leave to leave Leeds. And if he does leave Leeds, I think he can do better than Aston Villa, who are chucking money around. But it's it's still a gamble on on where they finish in the Premier League next season. But mm. Bubakar uh, Kamara is is a good player, um, and he's I think he's like twenty two as well. He's he's only. He's only young, but again, it's that French thing. We just mentioned it about uh, Chouameni, but mm. can he can he adapt to the Premier League and, and put his foot down and be a good defensive midfielder or centre back wherever he plays because he can play both? Can he can he um, produce that type of form that he did for Marseille? But we'll have to wait and see. But Villa are taking a big gamble with all these mm. these money signings. I know they've got money and it, financially they're absolutely fine, but it's still a uh, um, a bit of a risk. They what? feel like they're one to watch Leeds, uh, Leeds, Aston Villa for me. I feel like they feel like they're on the cusp of something. They've got the money. They're spending it what appears to be relatively wisely. If we're going to look for a team that can break into the top six, they are maybe on the cusp. I'd love to say I agree with you, but I'm not sure I do. And I just don't think they've shown me enough this season for me to be convinced on that. And the reason I say that is because if you look at next season, Tottenham will be stronger. Manchester United, you'd imagine, will be stronger with a new manager in mm. Ten Hag. You'd think Leicester and Brendan Rodgers will be back up and amongst it again. You'd think that David Moyes will get West Ham rallied again. You've then got Wolves, Brighton, Newcastle United all have finished higher than they would have expected to this season, um, particularly Newcastle. How are they going to fare next season? So the competition is getting stronger in the Premier League. And I think, for me, Aston Villa are in that bracket of Wolves, Newcastle themselves um, you know, will Everton fans be expecting something a little bit more next season? Could, mm. we see, could we see a surprise there? So I think there's so many different questions to be had. Um, and whether Aston Villa fit into that and whether I buy into that, I'm not so sure I, I do subscribe to it. But what I will say about Aston Villa and what they deserve a lot of credit for is how clean they are with their signings. And what I mean by that is think about the Danny Ings signing. That just seemed to arrive one night in yeah. July and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, Danny yeah. Ings has moved... From Southampton to Aston Villa, there was no. I didn't trans- even know they were in for this camera. Yeah, there was no all. transfer saga, was there? It's no. just completely. It's Bailey been done. As well. Leon yeah. Bailey, they, they, they do did, really did well. It pretty yeah, then. in yeah. keeping the transfers in house and not getting them leaked to the media. So yeah. they deserve huge credit for that Aston Villa because, as we know, that can cause some problems. And what I will say is, if Steven Gerrard is signing a midfield player who he rates, then they must be a good player. Well, that's is the first post-season transfer update of no doubt many because we've got a fair way to go between now and the start of the new season and the transfer window does open in, what, about 15 days, two weeks, something along those lines. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Make sure you've subscribed and keep listening right the way over the summer because we will have regular updates for you in terms of everything that's going on in the Premier League. And don't forget, next week, we've got our much-heralded and much-anticipated end-of-season awards as well. We'll be handing out some shiny gongs for various players, teams and managers over the course of the season. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll see you next time. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.